Yes, sir. yes, sir. The man wanted to ride. What did he do? Swing down, sweet child. If you're feeling my vibe, then we can all just ride. If you want to get down, then we can all just ride. All my people, throw your hands up high and just ride. Where you're from, east side to west side, just ride. All my people from uptown to downtown. From Cali to NY, you know we all. Hey, Ryan, how you doing? Good, Jason. How are you? Doing all right. How was the weekend? Long weekend pretty good, man. Yeah, long weekend here in Canada. Uh, it's pretty good, man. Pretty pretty amazing to have uh, live ball and stick sports back. Um, <laughs> yeah. Goes yeah. without saying for basketball, but I even found myself watching a bit of baseball, um, such as a baseball season still exists. And yeah. um, in hockey as well. Like I haven't seen, um, I've probably seen the most hockey this weekend that I have in a really long time. Um, okay. So even still, just yeah, it was was really great to just turn on the TV and just seemingly having every every pick of the litter to choose from. Nice. I uh, I did catch a little. I haven't catched all the sports. I haven't really turned some of the TV on too much, but I watched a bit of the basketball. I uh, it's a sports it's a sports fans paradise for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, like I, I can't even keep track of what's going on because I mean I I'm I'm on my feed you know, and I see things like I think there's different golf tournaments happening, different sort of pro am tournaments mm-hmm. like with Asama Holmes was hitting it up uh in one shot I don't yeah. know what tournament that was um and I guess yeah no it's been it's been it's been good to see stuff kind of on just you know I mean some semblance of normalcy in the world right um so that's cool exactly yeah I even found myself just um you know I watched the Miami Heats and Denver Nuggets game which okay I really, you know, it's it's been a while since I've just watched a quote nothing game. You know, two teams that I mean, uh, you know, they they don't have like a regular season game, sure. Whereas just a regular non, season, yeah, with no stars. Like the middle, exactly. Sure. Just just uh, middle of the almost, pack. Middle of the pack. Two teams kind of going at two good teams, obviously, right? I don't want anyone to think that I wasn't watching um, some talented uh, guys out there, but. Um, like the only sport that I'll watch, like nothing, I guess you could say, or just, just middle of the run guys is, is basically your, your, you know, the combat sports where I'll watch, I'll watch, okay. you know, I'll watch, um, I'll watch top rank boxing, two guys I've never really heard of, but, you know, I'll kind of watch the, the preview package and, and UFC and, and Bellator, you know, I'll always watch. Yeah. I just, I guess I'm just, just, um, just wired that way they just like seeing dudes yeah. just punching each other in the face right so that that's um that's how um that's how i see the world um but yeah it was just great watching like jimmy butler play basketball do you know what i mean just this guy yeah. who i've never really paid attention to all that much and here i am just okay. following him for an entire four quarters it was just really cool um to see that i guess that's how starved i was for for live sports <laughs> you know um before I talk about basketball, like you just something on um, like MMA, it's like been through the pandemic when nothing was being shown, like it was just really, it was enjoyable to sort of relive just all different fights and different clips that were being put up by UFC just on YouTube and on Facebook. And it, uh, I think it's, I think um, it's either because there's a story involved or there is, it's just something very primal about fighting or, it's also maybe because the nature of the sport, it's not as defined, right? Like if you think about all the other sports that there are, whether it's tennis, whether it's basketball, or baseball, et cetera, you have a whole number of rules that sort of create a certain structure to the way the ball or the goals, everything moves. Whereas in fighting, like, yes, there are rules, but for the most part, like 
every fight is really its own story. And I think maybe that's part of the allure of like why it's just, it, it never, it never really get looks boring. You know what I mean? The only, the only fights that ever might get, appear boring is if the two guys don't really engage, the two women don't really engage. But other than that, it's always going to be something that draws you in, you know? It's, it's a sport that literally came from zero rules. Right. And then, yeah. the, the, and then it only became sanctioned when, um, a couple sure. of governing bodies came in and threw some rules at it. Um, yeah. It's hard for me to watch. See, that's that's the thing with me, right? Even old wrestling, I, I know there's, you know, there's there's tons of Japanese wrestling I've never seen before and Mexican wrestling, but uh, for whatever reason, I feel like I've seen. I'm not trying to sound pompous. It's just one of those things. That, like I've, you know, there's there's not a big MMA fight that I've never seen or or haven't um, or haven't seen maybe twice. Right. Okay. And, and I'd, I'd like to say the same thing for pro wrestling, at least the pro wrestling that I've seen. It's kind of it's kind of fulfilled me. You know, I feel like I've okay. seen all the all the good wrestling matches I've, I've wanted to see growing up yeah. and maybe prior to um, prior to the era that I was really picking up on. So and I'm not really nostalgic for old you know, basketball uh, games yeah. or hockey games. It's just, you know, it could be, my goodness, it could be, it, even even there, even here in Canada, they played every single playoff game that the Raptors had in their championship season night. I maybe caught like half a quarter of each because yeah. that's in the rearview mirror. Like I saw that, I was part of that. That's, it's still kind of, how can I, how can I miss you if you haven't left, right? So, um, so even I know during COVID there was this, idea that you know and obviously you don't blame these these sports um shows and sports stations that you know they were putting on one of two things they were putting on like old classic games of whatever sports they could find or just sports that could work in a covid environment like cornhole championships or spelling bees or something <laughs> like that right or hot dog yeah. eating contests right um but I feel like I was tapped out from all that very early. Like one weekend, I'm like, okay, guys, I'm all retroed <laughs> out. Um, so, so um, are we we both watched the Stefan Marbury documentary, mm -hmm. uh, A Kid from Coney Island. And thank you for the recommendation. I actually, to be honest, didn't know much of Stefan Marbury until. I had started watching the NBA again, where when I started seeing him again was when he had the, when he started uh, doing the videos with him and the Vaseline and kind of sort of going a bit off um, yeah. in that part of his career. Before that, I actually, I could not, I did not really have any memories of him, uh, of him playing. I just knew of the, what would I hear and the stories. And just like whenever people would talk about selfish players or guys just who didn't really mesh or fit in and that that was the the narrative around him um what was your say before we get into the movie like just your just general impressions of him as a player through like when you saw him same same thing i think people okay. always because he wasn't as talented as alan iverson i guess we're gonna you know talk a lot about alan iverson as well um so i guess in terms of both in terms of both talent and selfishness and blowback Allen Iverson had all three, right? So he um, he was the more uh, he was the better basketball player. Uh, he had more individual accolades. Um, he got a bit of more blowback because he was more successful individually. But Stefan Marbury always also carried 
um, carry that same baggage. Um, growing up, I always, I didn't catch a lot of Timberwolves game, but I did watch okay. Sports Center religiously, and him and Garnett were just constantly on the highlights. I mean, these guys would. Um, I'm pretty sure they had maybe one or two 50 win seasons, so they were winning more than they were losing. They were making playoff appearances, not going very far. But in terms of a regular season duo, I mean, they were great, and they would, you know, they would they would dominate your your highlight reel, and you would take that to school, and you know, crossovers and and doing different uh, different um, different one on one moves. His jersey was very popular. I saw a lot of Stefan Marbury jerseys. Do you think you gravitate to players who like have that essentially the the ability to get their own shot and go one-on-one because I know you like James Harden. I know you like Russell Westbrook and there seems, I, I just sense this trend. Like, okay. I, I, um, with the Marbury, like, I like shit heels in every okay. line of industry and work. And no, I would not, I don't consider Stefan Marbury that it's, I can't even tell you why I like certain players. Right. Okay. Um, Stefan Marbury was missing, I guess something that those other guys had, and I, I can't, I, okay. I honestly don't have a good answer. But I was an Allen Iverson fan, okay. you know, because I think he owned it. Uh, if if that even makes sense, it's like, okay. it's like they have a persona, and the reason why I like quote unquote divas and bad guys and all this stuff is because they have a persona. They know they're not well liked sometimes they fight it it's like how come you know how come you don't you know how come you don't love me right but sometimes they also own it and again listen i didn't i didn't watch a lot of stefan marbury like i said he was yeah. just he would just show up in my in my in my sports um he did also okay. play in the same conference as the toronto raptors so i saw less of him um but yeah i can't remember myself ever gravitating towards that yeah. personality and i think in watching this documentary, I think that validated it. It didn't change a thing for me. I don't think had I had Stefan Marbury been playing now with James Harden, Russell Westbrook, he would still come off for me as a guy that who's both game and attitude. I would not, um, I would not, uh, you know, I would not liken to, you know, wouldn't mind him, but you know, he would just be like a like a Jimmy Butler okay. for me type of thing. Yeah. What did you think of the the documentary itself as a production? Cameron was fine. Fat Joe was fine. Too much of them. Don't use rappers. Don't use rappers <laughs> as often as this movie. And don't use rappers. Don't use rappers who are trying to get their shit in. Okay. Um, <laughs> Fat Joe has become a meme of himself. I, you know, I, I always, I always kind of have an ear to the music, to the urban music scene, and. This guy, I mean, just to give you a couple things, he's basically gone on record and saying that because it recently came out that he had a chance to sign Eminem, you know, the Eminem, Marshall okay. Mathers. Yeah. And he says, yep, I let that one slip through the cracks. And so he admitted <laughs> that a, a tape came through him, which was an honest mistake. I mean, yeah, sure. lots of, I mean, yeah, lots yeah, yeah, of, yeah. but get this, get this, this, this is where it gets rich. Okay. This is where it gets amazingly right. rich. Fat Joe has turned around and said that he would have done a better job with Eminem than someone else. So he didn't say Dr. Dre. He just said he would have done a better job with Eminem than someone else. So it's well, one of those subliminal yeah, jabs. Yeah. Yeah. And he has, he has not aged well. He, I think he lives for these 
documentaries and these interviews where he's able to kind of redefine his career. And this was, this was a clear case of mine. Um, Cameron, I was never a huge fan of, I actually, I didn't mind him, but look, I guess you and I, we, we like our sports documentaries to be sports documentaries, right? We had, we loved the last dance. I loved Chauncey Billups. I thought he was the star of the documentary. Ray Allen was fantastic. Okay. I mean, um, for me, I, for Stefan Marbury, I, I came off by the end in terms of him as a person, liking him a bit more. Um, and I'll tell you, me, we'll, me get to the, we'll, we'll get to the part about him in China in a bit, because that, that resonated with me a lot, just because, uh, so the, in terms of timeline, like I'd come back to Canada at the yep. beginning, about roughly the beginning of 07, basically within like a year or two of me coming back to Canada, he went off to China. And so we'll get to that part. Cause I could really identify, I could kind of relate to a lot of like his journey. Yeah. In China. Um, the documentary itself, my overall impression, I honestly didn't think it was a very well-produced work. Like it, uh, it just felt very choppy. It didn't feel like it had a thread. It felt like all it did was just basically follow chronology, but that, a chronology is not the same thing as a story, right? Like if you recall the last dance, which we've referred to a few times, he was telling you a story and I guess he was, yes, somewhat chronological. It was chronological in in the sense of the final year, but it wasn't like, we're just gonna follow the chronology of Jordan's life and that's it. He he knew what stories they were trying to tell and how they were gonna tell it. This was a little bit out of place. Now I thought it was, it was a documercial, like that term has been floated around now, where it's just Mm -hmm. like a guy putting out a piece of work to just promote himself. And you, I don't know if you saw the, the credits that like Kevin Durant was like the executive producer. One of the, he was uh, the final cut on that. Oh, um, really? Okay. Yeah. So it was evident to me that it wasn't really done by you know guys with extensive experience. So in terms of getting me to just see more of Stefan Marbury when I didn't know as much, okay, mission accomplished. In terms of a, a documentary that I would recommend to somebody if, to who enjoys documentaries, mm, not really. Just the way that they tell the story was interesting how they used a lot of people there was a lot of people from all walks so you're talking about his relatives you're talking about stephen a smith had quite a lot of airtime and then yeah mm-hmm. the, the aforementioned rappers and former players you're talking about ray allen and chauncey billups well if you were familiar with his career then it was really just hearing more testimonials about um people who were near him and heard their views Imagine you knew uh, I, nothing about. Imagine you knew nothing about Stefan Marbury, though. What? And this is your. And this is your foray, foray into his career. What are you left? Um, what are you left to conclude about his NBA career? That he was just unlucky. Um, yeah, I don't think so, they did a very good job of explaining that this guy just didn't. He lost more than he won as he got older. Yeah. Plain and simple. It just. So uh, yeah, you you touch on something there. Is I kind of empathize for it with him because I don't think he had great people around him. Like I think his relatives were really not good influences in his life. Cause if you listen to all their interviews from the beginning throughout the whole movie, all mm-hmm. they did was deflect, make excuses def- blame his teammates, blame teams that he was on. Like if you yeah. just think that what was it like for him to come home and be like, well, and the, the the extent of any kind of critical thought was when his brother said, "Don't why would you leave Minnesota? Um, that's you know you're with Kevin. You guys are gonna you guys are gonna win championships." Like I think that was the that was the extent of it. But I didn't really have 
I just thought that I could see how somebody would sort of lose touch with themselves with not and not know how to sort of function in an organization in different environments, whether it's Minnesota, whether it's um, Phoenix, if they didn't have a solid grounding in their lives to begin with. And so I wasn't very impressed with anybody in his life. I mean, that sounds mm -hmm. harsh, but but like I just think about how um, you will hear whether it's Kevin Durant or it's LeBron uh, or just uh, plenty of other guys where their hardest critics might have been been the fa their friends and family around them to hold them accountable to say, hey, like mm -hmm. you're right here, you're wrong here, or hey, you just you gotta own it. You gotta just understand, like you don't. Not everything's gonna work out, and just be a little more resilient. And and also part of being the leader is to not just say, well, I he got scrubs. And by the way, like on a bunch of those teams, he didn't have just scrubs though. I don't think that he was a, at a disservice in plenty of the stops that he was at. Like uh, you can tell me about Phoenix because that's escaping me. But when he went, he was in New York at the time. It didn't turn out. The results didn't bear out. But they had Jamal Crawford. They had mm -hmm. um, Nate Robinson. I, I, I might be mixing this on the timeline, but they had Isaiah Thomas, who's a Hall of Famer as the head coach and in, in the front office. They'd spent money on Zach Randolph, and who like they they actually had the highest payroll. So the team wasn't not trying to stack um, the squad with really good stars. It just didn't work out, and it might have been the coaching. It might have been the fit of players. It might have been Stefan. I don't know, but we can't say that oh they didn't have anybody it just didn't like you know what i mean so that's the part i yeah. don't really agree with um, yeah they made it they made it seem like well yeah I, it's like that it's like that fighter that keeps losing well i actually kind of like the mickey <laughs> ward story the fighter where it's just okay. you know i don't know if you saw the movie but basically have, yeah. it's yeah he goes he, he loses to a guy and then the family is just like well oh yeah you, you you had you had a bad opponent uh bad promotion don't worry and meanwhile it was you know he was receiving the wrong kind of support and i'm actually trying to because you mentioned kevin durant you mentioned lebron james that's kind of not fair to stefan memory so i am trying to think of okay. a player who he does stack up nicely with okay jeremy of, lynn uh okay. i'm just saying that a guy who like Stefan Marbury for how talent. Okay, it's not equal because of the different right. level of talent the two of them had. But I'm just saying how Jeremy Lin, like he didn't like you listen to the interviews from his family. They weren't they weren't just pumping him up for no like for no good reason. Like they were they were mm -hmm. they were being tough on him. His mom was saying you're not going to play basketball if you're not going to hold up your grades. And if um, or like for or another example would be John Morant. John Morant's was saying his dad was his harshest critic always just picking at him lavar ball always picking at his sons like now i'm not and i'm not saying that that has to be the way forward but it can't just be a situation where you have the wife the sister you know the brothers the parents just sounding really what's um i don't i think the word is arrogant they just sound really arrogant the way that they talk about everything and they're and so, they're they're enabling him as well a little bit yeah right? that's the if, best if, that's if, the best yeah if he's not coming home to his criticism and i'm wondering if he had to have received it from some coach at some time but you're right probably he comes home and then he's getting the opposite message and that's the one that that's resonating did you uh, have any did anything resonate with you about how he was not at all interviewed throughout the entire time in the u.s and his first appearance came about almost three quarters of the way through the movie that was, just as he was that, in China. 
that was yeah i thought that was strategically bad i understand like it's the main event so you people are gonna have to you know you pay to see the main event now you have to wait for him type of thing okay i that's that's nice that's cute um or you can just have the guy throw out the movie and uh and achieve the same thing (laughs) i i guess that speaks to some guy that some guy's vision of it and hey let's just have Stephen a smith and a bunch of rapper rappers talk um for you (sighs) i don't know so i um the way i took that was because I kept waiting for him to appear. I thought he was going to appear somewhere. I thought, okay, maybe the mm-hmm. home life will get good with the family. And then finally, when he's being drafted, we'll see him. Or maybe it's maybe when he gets to the Knicks. I don't know where, but we'll see him. But then when he only shows up to like three quarters of the way through, I thought, okay, first, okay, what I thought might have happened was maybe going to happen initially, like when I was first third, was okay, maybe it's part of the the arc where he gets to like China, and this is like the rebirth of Stefan Marbury. And that's why we're only seeing him then because that other Stefan Marbury has ceased. Like he is, he is in the past and now here's the real Stefan Marbury. However, when I looked at the little bar and I saw how far along, mm-hmm. I'm like, well, we're nearly done the movie. Like that's, that's not going to work. Like, cause I thought it, you know what I mean? Like that to me would have been this arc. I could see that. Like when he sort of has the, well, we'll talk about the China stuff in a bit, but, um, mm-hmm. But I thought that was what the decision might have been. I just didn't think it came off as, as well. That, I think maybe that was part of what made me think the movie lacked a little bit of focus. I think maybe that might have been it. Um, I thought what was kind of clever was the use of the claymation. You know, when uh, I that haven't... That was pretty cool, actually, yeah. I haven't, yeah, I hadn't seen that done where, the, like, someone's narrating a, a past exp- uh, event with Ste- involving Stefan where they didn't have any footage obviously because it's like his previous life yeah but then to use claymation to actually depict the thing i thought it was kind of a neat little uh it wasn't bad it wasn't bad i haven't seen i haven't seen claymation since uh mtv <laughs> what is it called celebrity deathmatch oh, celebrity okay. Deathlight. <laughs> i really liked um so on a just to go talk to another um uh sports docu documentary i really liked what they did in the rick flair 30 for 30 which was just do kind of animation and would have a narrator depicting okay. it so jim ross talking about how uh, rick flair ordered like i don't know 30 bloody caesars for everyone in the hotel <laughs> bar and it was just, you know the the animation matched it so uh, yeah claymation was 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 a nice touch i suppose from where mm-hmm. i sat throughout my entire basketball fandom i've never ever thought of marbury and iverson in the same breath like i never thought of them as rivals i never thought of them as like as even though they played at the same time i think they were even this yeah they were in the same draft i just never thought of them together the correlation between alan iverson and stefan marbury playing in the nba was also around the the n1 mixtape um i guess inauguration and 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 fruition of, of that movement and so there was this groundswell of streetball culture that was kind of anti-NBA. So I feel like that when I was going to school and I had an impression of Allen Iverson and Stefan Marbury, that it was always it was always excused because everyone would say, like, oh well, those are streetball guys, like they're N one guys, and they're just in the NBA. But you know, they would they would destroy N one, and so I thought that was kind of out of place. But did you think that that 
there's the real head to head, right? They're their actual okay. playing careers. No, he was always Allen Iverson light. Yeah. Um, in every I, not as good defender, not as I good. Twist that a bit. Yeah. I, okay. I would I would even stretch it farther. I'm like, I just view Allen Iverson on this other upper echelon and then yeah. Al, and then Marbury is more of like a, this is like me comparing like John Cena to um to I'm trying to think of like a guy who was just like what's his name the the blonde haired guy um, Dolph, Dolph Ziggler yeah exactly like to me okay. it's just like yes one guy is like obviously still he's hung around a long yeah. time but you can never and even if you say well he had these really shining moments like I would never compare those two of them yeah. so that's how I was doing it but like you, Fair like, enough. at that time do you recall if people were thinking of them that way like T Mac and Kobe just, were but just just on that street ball level so they were almost. Okay. They're almost allies in the same war, right? Because I remember going to high school, the same high school we went to. And I remember growing up and, oh, you know, if John Stockton and Carl Malone ever went to Rucker Park, like two guys would destroy them. It's just like, you guys are fucking morons. (laughs) Like John Stockton would destroy every street ball or uh, competition you have going on. It would, he would be the guy that you would clearly have as your, uh, that you would hustle people with, right? Yeah, and he'd be just, Woody Harrelson. He would be Woody Harrelson, and he wouldn't have to be <laughs> able to dunk because he would just steal and pass all day and make jumpers. So, so I oh, remember. You, sorry, before you continue, could you imagine just Carl Malone and uh, John Stockton in the '80s just showing up at Rucker and just running that pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll, kid ten, keep the court, what, just keep it all day be, long. <laughs> you know, it'd be amazing because they're both like mid fifties, and I bet you they still have game. I okay. bet you. <laughs> And, and I bet you kids today don't even know who they are. So just have them yeah. show up in like, <laughs> just have them show up in East Brampton and just say, hey, do you guys mind if a couple of us old timers just start playing and, uh, you know, maybe uh, 30 bucks a ball? And uh, Great. yeah, that'd be, that'd be hilarious, actually. Um, my oh, money's sorry. definitely on. Do you find it interesting that we don't hear about, see as many New York based basketball players coming out? of the draft year after year anymore. Like if you think about in the past, you had Marbury, Kenny Smith, I'm going to cut across different years, like Lamar Odom, Lance Stevenson, I think Ron Artest, Mm. um, Rafer Alston. Like, so there were a lot in basketball in New York city is the Mecca. And obviously Marbury is like, you know, he's just one of the first guys you think of when you think of New York basketball players. But if you look at the, the league today. I mean, I'm thinking of, there's Danny Green. I think was from New York, um, but kind of and yeah, Carmelo Anthony gets credited from being from New York, but he really grew up in, in Maryland and DC or Baltimore or whatever. Uh, so I just find it interesting. I, I I do find it interesting that there, it's like basketball. Obviously, is very popular in New York. The Knicks are, are they're they're an attention getter, but the the cult the 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 epicenter of talent isn't just centered in New York anymore or no. really LA. You know what I mean? And I, you know what I think it has to do with, and you tell me if this, this hypothesis might make sense is it has to do with the professionalization and advancement of AAU leagues around the country where what yeah. happened was in the old days, your parents would just, you know, send your kid to high school and then the kid would play basketball and the really good kids and good high schools, usually in the bigger cities, because they could also get to a court much easier, would just play, and that's where the scouts sort of were. And then what happened over time was leagues, the the players and the colleges got more money to send scouts to more places. So they could also sort of go to more parts of the country, as well as 
different AAU circuits started evolving where players now they weren't just playing their high school team like a few months of the year. Now they're being also recruited to play on these other squads around the year. And these AAU teams are now traveling around the country and the players from all the parts of the country are intermingling. And as a result, like scouts can sort of pick players from anywhere in the country um, much more than they might've been able to as, as, as far back as like 20 years ago. That was kind of one of my, thoughts that came across my mind as I was watching this documentary. I have zero answer for you because I, I give it okay. no thought. Okay. But I'm, I'm sure. intrigued. I'm intrigued by your answer. Can I just also say this? Cause you mentioned Ray for Alston and going back to high school, I remember uh, well post high school, but I, I do remember that um, when the Raptors finally got skipped to my Lou Ray for Alston, I still remember playing people saying like, Oh my God, we're, we're getting, we're getting this and one legend. Like, championship here we come and I'm like what the fuck are you talking about this guy like, <laughs> this guy's gonna do nothing and then and in my opinion he did nothing i know he had you know he did he did not just fizzle out in the nba i'll give him that much he was but that just speaks to that that should that should quelch everyone's um everyone's um hill that they've died on about street ball i mean this guy was the best of that street ball league and he was a marginal player at best in the nba and um, so I just thought that was funny when the Ray for Alston <laughs> experiment uh, came and went. Um, well, he so had I a thought, good run in there in Orlando. He had a good run. In, uh, yeah, he was. Listen, he was serviceable. I think the documentary did a really good job of, again, you know, you're trying to you're selling people on the kid from Coney Island. You're trying to you're trying to rewrite a bit of history. So it doesn't hurt to kind of align yourself with Allen Iverson and saying that, oh, well, of course, Allen Iverson is going to go first overall. But Stefan Marbury was one of the game's best. And they kind of just, you know, they, they didn't really, as you know, they never had their stats lined up against each other. They never did a head-to-head. -head. They never even showed them playing against each other. They just yeah. kind of put it out there in the abyss that, you know, there was this guy, Allen Iverson, and there, and there was Stefan Marbury, and they were both in the same orbit and that's it they kind of just left it there so okay. yeah okay. if you really don't fact check you will you know sure. yeah. i'm probably more inclined to think of okay. think of it like you like you do that they're probably not in the same orbit okay um okay. but this documentary certainly did a good job of making you seem like they were okay. and that he just if wasn't as fortuitous if it's a documentary, then I guess that's what that makes sense. And um, I didn't know if I was just crazy or if I just because again, I, again, I, I guess I didn't really follow as closely at that time. But I never, I never had that impression of of Marbury. Nor um, should you. Nor should anyone. No. One of the other changes that came up, Larry Brown and his time with Team USA. So mm -hmm. it sort of reaffirmed some stuff we've been hearing about Larry Brown through really Jalen Rose, it's like he's the main critic of Larry Brown. I mean, there haven't really been as many other critics, but hearing about Larry Brown through the voice of Chauncey Phillips and other, I guess, I mean, and the relatives can't be wrong all the time. So I, I mean, I'm gonna listen to what they have to say. Mm -hmm. and, and it ties into what we were talking about in one of the previous podcasts about what, you know, Alan Iverson potentially having been on the wrong team at the wrong time, like Mighty mm -hmm. have succeeded elsewhere. And yeah, like I kind of, I kind of, uh, felt even more convinced based on, on your point, based on what I was hearing about Larry Brown. Like he just sounds like an asshole. Um, he didn't sound like he was necessarily building up players. And so, um, yes, could Stefan Marbury like is he difficult? Like I mean, the track record might show that. You know, you know Jalen Rose's nickname for Larry Brown. No, what is it? It's a uh, next town Brown. <laughs> 
whenever things get bad, he just moves on to the next town. So wow, um, that's hilarious. So so Jalen Rose says he always credits Larry Bird because what happened was Larry Brown left the Pacers, Larry Bird took over, mm-hmm. uh, and then Jalen Rose's career took off from uh, under Larry Bird. And see, he credits his, all the success he ever had for the next 10 years under him. Whereas if it was just Larry Brown, he might have been out the league in like a couple of years. I just, you know what? Talk about guys um, revisionist history of their careers. I just mentioned Fat Joe. I think the more I hear Jalen Rose talk about his career, you would think this guy was like former three-time MVP. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of how he's he's pretty good at selling you wolf tickets, man. He's done a pretty good job with his with his with his career. You know, it's like wow, Jalen. The Raptors had Jalen Rose. Oh my goodness, we had a we had a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, yeah, no, and it, yeah, I. Um, God, Larry Brown. It's it's funny how much credit he got for the Pistons championship, and then like a year, and then like a year later, um, when they didn't win, it was all oh, you know what? It was it was Rasheed Wallace. It was the trade deadline, and it's and it's funny because Rasheed Wallace is the shining example of uh, I guess now Marcus All is now as well of kind of um, mid-season trade deadline yeah. acquisition that can change okay. fortunes, right? I think before Marcus Saul, maybe you can think of a better example, a more recent one besides Rasheed the, Wallace. Well, okay. But I, I just remember... Those, those are the two. Those are the two examples. Those are the only exactly. two instances where a mid-season oh, trade two? led to a championship. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those so there you go. So, okay. So, the, but it was just funny how... It was Larry Brown. I just remember Larry Brown's championship run that year. He would always wear, because the Detroit Red Wings were also in the Stanley Cup Finals, and he always wore a Detroit Red Wings jersey, which I thought was really stupid. And (laughs) don't know why. Um, And and then it just changed from, yeah, Larry Brown's like, he's an all right coach, I guess. But no, the real difference maker was Rasheed Wallace, right? It's just funny how within a year (laughs) I was hearing about, the, the narrative completely flipped on Larry Brown. And he kind of floundered ever since then. So, you know, he never had that much NBA success. Um, like, I mean, he had, it was good, I guess, but in terms of, right, like, I don't know. Um, I, 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 I doubt very seriously that he was the glue on that piston squad. You just had a bunch of piss and vinegar guys. And as Cha- Chauncey Billups just became, a world yeah. beater in, in one yeah. playoff series. And I'm sorry, I, I don't see Larry Brown just all of a sudden instructing Chauncey Billups <laughs> to turn into that. So forgive me if I don't give him yeah. that credit. Um, maybe he's just, maybe it's just one of those situations where he just got out of the way of the, of the players, kind of let the assistants um, do their thing. And it was favorable matchups. And yeah. so by proxy of him, just not hindering his players. That's how he became <laughs> an NBA head coach, right? Which, which, yeah is actually it's it's commendable right because we know of some coaches that um i can think of one or two especially in baseball that has certainly gotten in the way of some 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 games won and potential you know playoff appearances yeah. and world series loss so okay um there was another tangent that came up that uh it, it was illuminating for me because i didn't i wasn't i knew i was acutely aware of the kevin garnett contract situation but yeah. didn't know all the specifics that basically Kevin Garnett signed his $120 million deal. And then the following year, the CBA, the new collective bargaining agreement kicked in that instituted mm-hmm. a salary cap that kept uh, Stefan Marbury at 70, 70 some odd million dollars 
for his contract. Mm -hmm. And kind of this goes back to what we were saying about the family, like whether or not they were in his, you gotta wonder if, well, not just his family, but friends or just people in his life who were like, were maybe goading him a little bit. You just wonder, because if I gotta believe if it was, if it was a similar situation for Kevin Durant, that Wanda, his mom, would just slap him upside the head and say, no, no, just stop complaining. This or is more Vince money Car than you. Or Vince Carter's or mom. Or Vince Carter's mom, yeah. Just saying like, hey, don't complain. This is more money than you ever thought you were ever gonna have. Mm -hmm. Just just, just like, just just do what you do, which is play basketball. Um, well, guess yeah. what? We never heard him comment about it. How convenient, right? So again, part of what makes a documentary, especially a sports documentary, really riveting and really powerful is that you need the right balance of conjecture and substance. And when you don't have the star of the show comment, oh, yeah. comment <laughs> on probably the most important NBA decision he made, uh, yeah. maybe the, maybe the, maybe the second being leaving the NBA altogether, but yeah. Um, I don't want to hear about the uncle. I don't want to hear about fat Joe. I don't want to hear about these guys. I want to know what Stefan Marbury thought about his friend, his teammate getting all this money and was he jealous? Why did he leave? And, but no, we never got that. So that's, that's a good point. Yeah. It, so that's, it really would have been very important to hear what his view might've been. He, he yeah. could have easily said, Hey, the media blew it out of proportion. It was never this. It was actually this. And this is the first time you're hearing it because I don't yeah. talk about this stuff or whatever. That's right. Or maybe That's he would have right. just said, uh, or maybe he would have just said, Hey, I felt like I was misled because of this other conversations with uh, Glenn Taylor, who's maybe very low key, the worst NBA owner in, in the league right now. I'm not sure. Um, well, well, but um, so those were the kind of changes that came to mind. Uh, I want to talk about the China part. Is there anything else that you uh, yes. had in mind about the yes. America part? Okay, so the most glaring thing for me was his exit from New York because I don't know if you know the real reason for him leaving New uh, York and that they just oh, yes. they avoided it like COVID on a glow stick at a rave. They just said, "Nope, we're not touching that." Past the duchy, and when he had to sit on, when he sat on the sidelines and the cell phone, but it was also his father who passed away. That kind of stuff. No, I'm talking about Isaiah Thomas, the sexual misconduct, him being okay. a witness and. I mean, oh, you know what? There's, you're right. There's that as well. There's his exit from New York was scandalous. It was sensational. It was, and they didn't, they didn't touch any of it. They just said, yeah, he, he just, he just left. And then he went to China. It's like no, no, well, nothing to see, okay. nothing to see here, so, folks. Okay. Well, tell me now in the, in the movie, they did cover to a degree. You tell me if they, what they were leaving out. Cause in the movie, what they covered was, um there was the trial he'd had relations with one of the interns he'd had to testify <clears throat> he had been he, his father had passed away they they did share a bit of light that i wasn't aware of at the time which oh, they was, had this in the, one they of had the things the, was they, they had the isaiah thomas part in the documentary yeah yeah very briefly this is the part like i don't i was know gonna say was, do you have some like american version that i didn't get maybe it was uh <laughs> crtc it was, but it wasn't like up. a long time right it was just like this there was just like a few seconds that's why i don't know like yeah. are we missing stuff out of it and then also what they what the knicks sort of got a lot of flack for at that time was was he was playing his father passed away in the middle of the game they didn't tell him until after the game and so yeah, it I was it yeah. came across in the media as well how bad is this knicks team that and the and james dolan and the management that this that they basically didn't want to tell their player in the middle of the game because they're worried about the game when actually his sister or his wife sort of had explained in the doc that no well we told him 
his father had been in and out of the hospital, had all these health problems. So just let him play, talk to him after. Like I didn't, I wasn't aware of that part. I don't know if it was ever reported before, but that was, that was new to, that was news to me. I mean, it was, a. am not saying inconsequential because it's a pretty big, pretty big event. Um, but, but in terms of the grand arc of his life, it was, it, it didn't necessarily change so much of what I was thinking of, of him or anything, but basically, kind of yeah, this is what I remember about Stefan Marbury's New York exit. And then what he played like 20 games, the Celtics last year. So the Stefan Marbury NBA exit is very Colin Kaepernick ish for me. Like basically we're going to blackball you the entire owners leagues. You're just, we don't want this drama. Like, you know, we have, 300 other players just we don't want to do business with Stefan Marbury right um the the Isaiah Thomas lawsuit was was pretty scandalous and it was pretty much a civil war at the I guess I guess at the MSG headquarters right that's who um now does James yep. Dolan own MSG or is he part of the ownership I forget how that relationship yeah he, he owns, he's the majority okay. shareholder so he took to the stands. Apparently, he, you know, they made a blood oath that, you know, he was never going to testify against Isaiah Thomas, and then he did. And then okay. he still, he still came to training camp. And I remember, um, I remember saying, guys, you wouldn't believe, um, Stefan Marbury is the most, he's the best New York Knicks player going in a summer ball or whatever the hell they were doing in the off season, and he was in shape and he was killing it. And then one writer is like, Stefan Marbury is in incredible shape. He's the best player on there. Too bad he won't play for the New York Knicks. And that's all I remember. And it was just so coded. It was so matter of fact that this guy is not stepping on the court for the New York Knicks, even though he's training with them. He's still under contract with them. He's showing up at, I don't know what they do in the summer. Um, mm. Right. But he's, he's, he's doing all these uh, exhibition uh, type games. And I just remember them saying he's never going to play for the New York Knicks. And it's like, he's the last one that knows it type of thing. It was like the worst kept secret. And then he was just blackballed. That's how I remember his exit. Right. Just, yeah. Just he was subpoenaed, black. right? He was subpoenaed. Yeah. It was just very ugly. And then I think he was like, it wasn't that he was trying to, I think he just, I think he was, um, I think he felt very bad for the victim in that case. Well, he's subpoenaed and, by law, right? You have to testify if you're being subpoenaed. Right, like, but you can also testify and narc, narc out your buddy who apparently you guys made a backroom deal with, which was the rumor at the time that, you know, his interests and Isaiah's interests were very much aligned and therefore James Dolan's interest because it reflects obviously his management and Isaiah being his guy at the time. So everyone was in cahoots and then Marbury wasn't in cahoots anymore. Right. So, um, yeah, he doesn't want to go to jail. I mean, he goes to jail for perjury. Right. So, well, I don't know if it's a situation where it was any hard proof. It just would have been his word against her word. And, and I don't think he was in a situation to perjure himself. It was just, he kind of, Imagine the one thing that he did right was listen to his parents on that situation. His brother's like, no, <laughs> no, bro, you gotta tell the truth. Like, this is a this is a woman in the office, and you know, do do right by her. You know, she's the victim in this. And um, so that's how I remember his exit, right? Just okay. so cut and dry, just blackball again, very reminiscent of Colin Kaepernick. Clearly has 
no one's going to say that Stefan Marbury did not have years left in him in the NBA to play at a high level. Um, so well, he, it's just, he signed with the, he was traded or he signed with the Boston Celtics. And I don't remember any of those 20 games that he played. So I, I don't even I know do, how though. that like ended. He, uh, you do? Yeah. I just remember yeah, yeah. how he ended in New York. I just remember that he came peak, into shape. Okay. Yeah. It was peak Celtics. So he was playing with Kevin Garnett, the, the whole big three. And they, um, this was the year uh, they didn't win the ring. It was um, I can't remember if it was the uh, I'm gonna uh, see, hold on a second. so they won the ring the first year, and then they lost to but, uh, Lakers the next year. Well, no, they lost to the Magic in the conference finals the following year. Oh, right, yes, and then they came back and lost to the Lakers in the finals. Yes, you're right. The oh nine, yeah. So that this was the year that they lost to the Magic, and mm-hmm. uh, he was yeah he was productive. He was productive. He was selfless. Like he was buying into Ubuntu. He was passing the ball. Like I remember Jeff Van Gundy was Mark Jackson. I forget who the announcer was at the time during play by play. Like, cause there was a few shots he was passing up. He had open shots and he was passing mm-hmm. the ball. And they're just like, I can't believe Stefan Marbury is passing right. the ball here. Like he's got to take that shot. It's how he's open. Um, and then he was offered a contract, like a multi-year contract with the Celtics afterward. Now he found himself on the Celtics and they were a good situation. But then he turned down an offer to re-sign with the Celtics. And this is where now he emerges into the documentary. Yeah. And at a certain point, he explains that this was like a life decision for him. He needed to just find himself and just um, just sort of for his own healing. When you look at New York and how it's this cauldron of attention from the media, as well as his family's there, and you saw what kind of attention his family gets, him just getting out of the country was probably like just good for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Just in terms of the content in the in the production, I just thought that I was I thought some stuff was kind of neat. Like the okay, so I mean, you you've never been to China, right? I have not. Yeah. So okay, so when, in the beginning, they show what's this area? This area in Beijing is called the Summer Palace. So one of these other empresses, she had had this, you know, this big huge palace, which is this park and all these whatever for her to just walk around so you just i guess you get the peasants to build you a bunch of stone roads and temples and stuff you can just walk around for yourself so it's a tourist attraction there in beijing and so seeing it in the winter i thought it was kind of neat visuals you see people skating on ponds and stuff like i've never seen it like that mm-hmm. um in terms of visuals and then he talked about how he learned to just sort of uh mellow out he referenced bruce lee be water mm-hmm. um, and they show that clip that was kind of interesting that he first you talked about it. They showed the clip once, and then at the end, they showed the clip again. To the, he's showing it to the kid. I didn't really grasp the significance of why he kept why they kept referencing this, but I get maybe for him it was a very important sort of uh, philosophy that helps like shape him as he mm-hmm. was like coming into his own. I guess the the Chinese basketball games, the fans, the championships. I, you know, the city, I guess they just did a quick, it was basically a few minute montage, but my takeaway was it was generally lacking in a lot of substance. Like 75% of the movie was on his time through America. But if you ask me, the most compelling part of his whole life and career is really everything from when he gets to Beijing onward. Like I, I, I thought this was actually going to be more about that than anything else. Okay. Um, and I'll tell you a bit, cause I don't know how, how aware you are of, of it all, but like, just a few different facts. Okay, his nickname, I, lo- I was looking it up, like his nickname in China was 
but if I, my, my tones will be off. Ma Zhengji, which is like, he's like a, a military leader. Like he's basically, basically talking about his leadership skills to sort of take the guys, groom them, get them ready to go play. And that's just not really his, uh, the reputation he had in, in, uh, in the US. So it just showed you kind of the new identity he'd assumed. He was one of the first celebrities to get permanent residency in China. And that's actually a really big deal. Like when I lived there, there was no mechanism to get permanent residency. China was not a country that was trying to take in immigration, right? They have they have enough people. They don't need to take right. in more migrants. So he had established himself and developed enough goodwill with the public and the government and the authorities, everyone, that they were willing to give him this, this citizenship. And now they reference the statute very briefly. But that's a big deal. Like he wins the, yeah. the Beijing Ducks, their first championship. They they erect a statue in Beijing of Stefan Marbury. Like he was just very heralded. They had a, like, it just felt like it was very, um, another thing too, he had a musical titled I Am Marbury in Beijing, which he started on stage. And then they turned it into another, and turned it into a movie titled My Other oh, Home. That was fantastic, he was also, by the way. <laughs> and uh, he was also a contributing writer <clears throat> to the China Daily, which is like their USA Today. It's like their big newspaper. So he writes there. And um, Stefan Marbury pens a paper in China. He sits behind a Lenovo and types out 2,000 <laughs> words is what you're telling me? <laughs> I don't know if it's quite 2,000, but at that time, that was the whole thing. Yeah, he, That's he was like basically, you know, the, we were going back about this uh, Mr. Baseball with Tom Selleck. He's basically Mr. Mr. Basketball. He's going okay, to China. I have to he's, ask you this because I think Mr. Baseball yeah. had a, I think he got a stupid nickname when he got to Japan. Like, okay. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's hilarious that you're like apologizing, apologizing to me about your pronunciation of his uh, nickname. Like, like I'm the okay. one that's going to, like, I'm the <laughs> one that's going to, yes, Jason, I'm going to correct you on your phonetics, on your mother tone. But um, what was his nickname again? Um, Ma Zhengji. I, I might have the tone wrong, but yeah, which which like means it's like a a political commissar, which is like your <laughs> you're like some kind of general, some kind of leader, <laughs> military leader type of. It's terrible. It's like so. Oh my god. <laughs> well, the, you know, uh, just just little tangent on just different nicknames that some of these guys have, like uh, um, LeBron James, Shao Huangdi, which is Little Emperor, and then okay, uh, Kobe Bryant. I forget the actual. Chinese name, but his it was like little flying dragon, um, because he was like he basically could just scorch you, and he was very like graceful in how he moves. Then uh, what's his name, Jimmer Furedek, who's gone and really made a career there in China. He was the lonely god, something like that. Because yeah, I think I see. I I knew I knew you were gonna go there. I knew some like sea level player was gonna get the best nickname okay. in China because he just like works for those people like. Oh no! Uh, the reason is because his name Jimmer sounds like Jimu, which is like lonely. So, okay. so yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, so, like, I, I I thought the movie, and maybe this was not meant to be about that. I just thought that that's way more compelling to people who were like, "Oh, Stefan Marbury is over there, and he's doing that," because that that would I thought would have got more attention. He, um, the reason why it's not because he won a championship for them, right? Other American players have gone over there and played. Stuff, um, but he had done. You know, like he basically was the Matt Bonner of China. Like he showed up, he embraced the life in Beijing. Like he was living mm -hmm. in the city. He was taking subway to the games. Like he was right, interacting right. with people. He didn't like what happens when expats go to China. Is you know we 
go in. We just we think we're foreigners. We just sort of stay in our cocoon, uh, go to the foreign restaurants, go to foreign malls, and just live your life. And you might interact with locals, but you just sort of you don't really fully embrace it. That's what happens with a lot of expats who go there. But he was sort of he yeah. So he'd ingratiated himself with the public, so that mm-hmm. there was a special sort of bond with him and the fans, which I guess you could kind of see through the montage. I just don't know that it really that came out. I don't okay, know can I can I can I stop you right yeah. there because Jump in, yeah. the, the the China part was it was the show for me. It was the star for me. It okay. it blew me away, and I knew I knew it was coming right, and I okay. was still like, oh my god. Now maybe it's because you're a little close to the situation and you were expecting this, but like take it from me, and maybe we can sample a few more other people that sure. the the China stuff. It's like it was it was. Uh, it was a second life. I mean, it's almost Andy Kaufman. Like you're, is this guy like, is he, does he have it there? Is he a secret pseudo genius or a real genius underneath it? All like what, what, what's the angle here? And it turns out to be probably like, I don't know if it was the best personal decision because we have no idea what it, what affected yeah. how his family and his marriage life and how his kids felt sure. about it. But as us as sports fans watching this, we're like this, this guy's a genius. I mean, he went to he, – he clearly went to – I mean, we, we see we see soccer players all the time in the twilights of their career come to MLS and have this resurgence, right? And yeah. we look at that as that's a smart move. Come to North America. Yeah. It's competitive soccer. You get a big payday, and you'll be treated like a star. But for whatever reason, you know, it's – you know, you've mentioned it before, right? The way, you know, Dr. Fauci talks about China and, and other people talk about this – you know, this uh, oppressed state, you know, we, we, you know, there's a lot of pejoratives around China. So when we hear about this guy who might not be all there, decided to go to China, um, we're left with, you know, we're left kind of giggling in the corner saying like, yeah, buddy, you go do you. And then in the end, you know, I'm tipping my cap to this guy. I thought it was amazing. I thought everything about it was amazing so much so that, um, you know, I can see that he will be in the Hall of Fame because mm. we have a way of lionizing players like, you know, Vladi Divac and Arvita Sabonis and the late uh, Drazdan mm. Petrovic as these guys who won in European and world soccer and coming here to North America and having, you know, relatively mixed success. Okay. Um, and they'll they'll be in the Hall of Fame because these basketball writers will honor their contributions on the global scale and he's a bronze medalist in the olympics which i mean yeah, yeah it sounds like a disappointment for the u.s but in terms of like the credentials of people that get into the whole fame like i think meddling does happen um you know we do like good stories right and the nba yeah. should should celebrate stories like that so i really see no reason not to have him the hall but of fame in some ways it's fitting if he weren't like because the decision for him to go to china was mm-hmm. him just saying basketball is something a part of my life, but my life is bigger than this. And my mission in life is bigger than just playing basketball. So in some ways, not being in the hall of fame, is like, it's part of the story. It's like, yes, I could have stayed in the NBA perhaps another 10 years if I shifted my game. And if I stayed with mm-hmm. the Celtics and I mm-hmm. came off the bench, became a six man, like a Jamal Crawford, but he's just like, no, I, I don't need that. What I need is, is this other this other stage of my life i'm going to reinvigorate myself and you know just a bit of a tangent like going off to china like when i i went there just a few years before him i get what he's i can kind of i get where how 
leaving all that kind of activity in the US behind and going there is because there is this like vibrancy and there's this like vitality, there's this frenetic energy, but there's almost this like peacefulness. Like mm -hmm. you just, uh, I, I don't quite know how to, I don't know if I'm explaining it properly, but where it's just like when you're, when you say you're riding the train and you're just breaking into a conversation, like I don't know what his Mandarin is like to break into conversation with whoever. I'm, I'm sure that people, there are enough people who are probably speaking English to him, but. Um, that was my next just, question. It just is one of those, with that time in my life when I'm waking up every morning, it's just one of those things where you're like, man, I feel so fortunate and lucky to be living and doing this right now. I can kind of see what mentality he might have had when he was over there. It's just, it just, it's just a new um, lease on life, a new perspective on life. And there was, and, 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 there and, was no way he was like slumming it there, right? I know you told me he no, no, to no, train, no. but, but. I mean, was, yeah, well, the train's guy... nice. Like the to be clear, right? right? Like I, I just mean that when you are a professional athlete and a millionaire, a lot of mm -hmm. expats actually not even that, just a lot of expats. Like say mm -hmm. you know somebody at RBC who's gonna at a, maybe a director level, he's in there right. just sent to Beijing. Like they might just organize a, a, a private driver for him. He'll just pick him up, drop him up, whatever. That's that's this what guy, I was asking him. And he could have had a. I'm sure he could have had a private driver. Like that wouldn't have been an issue. But he's just yeah. like, oh, let's ride the train. And he was living. Sit in the in the Wall Street or the financial district of Beijing, which I'm I'm guessing is like Longfujing and Chaoyang, which that's I know that central area. And um, he was just kind of yeah, just just sort of ingratiating himself that way. And so anyway, I just for me that whole Stefan in China part just resonated with me personally. On, on yeah, the, you know what I get. Oh, I would imagine um, so. For for me, it's it saved the like so. I got past all the Fat Joe and Cameron and Stephen okay. Smith pretty quickly once once the, the China stuff kicked the in. Temper. Okay, and it left me. It I was happy in the end. You know, it just okay. it's 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 North it's, it's North America stint stuff. Did he you does think in China. it was enough? Length yeah, of time? I mean, like, well, okay. yeah, because like you know, um, I'm sorry, this guy. How do I put this carefully? Um, Stefan Marbury is probably, um, I guess with ESPN 30 for 30, what they've done is you can really do it. I mean, they did a documentary about Christian freaking Leitner, for God's sakes. Like, <laughs> I guess we can just do a documentary on any mediocre person that ever lived. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure ESPN could do a 30 for 30 on the baker down the street in my neighborhood or the lady that hems my clothes at the dry cleaners. I mean, it does get a little ridiculous what you see documentaries made out of. It's okay. prime example is Moneyball. I mean, hey, let's just do a documentary on, <laughs> you know, Oakland Athletics that win 20 straight games during the regular season. That's fantastic. Um, so to me, Stefan Marbury, there was just enough meat on the bone. Okay. And then they were kind of, they had to stretch it a bit to make this work. Okay. And okay. I guess, I guess for me, it, it, it met, um, it met this baseline, um, baseline level of okay. what it takes to make a compelling, in other words, was, did he have that good of a career? Was he that interesting of a subject? Mm, I guess just enough, right. For me. Okay. And that's where I'll, that's, that's about the nicest thing I'll, I'll say about Stefan Marbury and his career as a documentary okay. subject. And 
So the, the nice part about it was, was yeah. this fair, because you know, the China stuff for me, you've lived it, but I haven't. So for me, it was very fairy ish It was, I, I okay. can't relate. So for me, seeing okay. this guy go abroad to this land, again, it's Western media. We have a vision of China and how it's depicted. I've never stepped foot there. And me seeing this guy there, that was very, uh, that was very illuminating. Um, and that to me is yeah. what saved it from being, um, weak subject matter to like okay not a bad documentary like the way it ended slow starts strong finish that's that's kind of the grade i would give it okay the intro and outro and then the barbershops like what what did you think of that so that's very um that's very um so if you're going to talk about the kid from Coney Island and what do what do people do in barbershops they talk sports generally Maybe a little bit about girls, maybe a little bit about music, but typically it is your, um, I guess it depends on what market, but you know, here in Canada, of course, everyone's going to talk about goddamn hockey all the time, but that's fine. <laughs> but, but no, sports is a great, in, in a sense, you and I are creating a podcast because we are trying to elevate the barbershop talk, right? The water cooler talk. So barbershop is an appropriate setting especially when in barbershops there are sports games going on sometimes or at least sports center and guys are very much all discussing the same point. So I guess they tried to, and they're not the first ones to do it, right? I've seen so many sports documentaries. Well, LeBron has a TV show that's called the shop and he's just, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's it's nothing new. I mean, you think of the, you think of the classic scenes in coming to America where they're discussing boxing in the (laughs) barbershop. So, so yeah, it was, I guess, predictable. Um, you okay. know, I don't really have anything to say otherwise. Okay. Except that it was... Well, I, I just was confused by it. I think that's the reason. I oh, okay. It up. Really? I, okay. I just, okay. In the intro of the beginning, I feel like, okay, well, movies just start in different ways. So maybe he's just going to come into the door and it didn't really happen. Okay. And then I think it was more puzzled by the end because at the end, it was a very long period of time in the barbershop. And then I kind of understood the symbolism of you have the kid and he's grooming like the next generation and he's yeah. it's not it's like maybe the message there is it's not about basketball it's you can be bigger than basketball which is kind of how he sees his life is yes basketball was the vehicle for him to experience everything mm-hmm. else in life become what he's become mm-hmm. i get that maybe that's what he was trying to do in, in retrospect but while yeah. i'm watching it i didn't really get what was going on and why he's showing video of bruce lee to the kid i i thought it was could have been edited a little better and i thought the way he ended like that's a wrap like just looking into the camera i thought that was a little weird it's the type of thing you'd see in a high school project but that's yeah, the well, it kind of was a um, high school project. Right? It's it's funny how like it's funny how if like the NBA was like a booker and like if China was a booker, <laughs> it's like okay. so the NBA didn't know how to push Stefan Marble, right? <laughs> but 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 China was like, oh my god, he's a baby face. We're gonna make money yeah. off him. It's you know, China's like, like Steve pop- going from WCW yeah, to the WWF. I'm just, yeah. I'm just thinking of, I'm just thinking of, you know, here's this guy who's an Allen Iverson light, and then Paul Heyman comes along. So give me Stefan Marbury, goddammit. <laughs> yeah. I'll I'll make a star out of him. We're gonna he's gonna he's gonna play for this Beijing Ducks, and we're gonna give him a nickname that makes no <laughs> sense, and we're gonna make a statue about him, and and he's gonna <laughs> sing. He the man can't even sing, and he's gonna sing, and he can't <laughs> in Chinese. And he can't even, he's never written an essay in his life or he did, but we're still going to give him a column in the paper. It's like, oh my goodness. Like, no, they did. They just, um, I, I love shit like that, man. All right. Well, yeah. Anybody who is listening, uh, 
BayHeightsPod at gmail.com. You can add us on Twitter and Instagram at BayHeightsPod. You can take a look at the movie. Let us know what you think. If there's any other movies that you want us to review, uh, take a look at. We could break it down. Uh, I think I've enjoyed this part. Like when we reviewed the decision and uh, backstory and reviewed this, I think that this might be something that we kind of revisit, just reviewing different basketball-related uh, productions. I think that'd be hilarious right, if we did Jason and Ryan at the movies. Just... <laughs> All right, man. Take care. Take care. Bye. 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 Bye.